0: Reformed Confessional exists to promote Reformed Confessionalism, to proclaim the sufficiency of Scripture, and to extol the supremacy of Christ over all things. Welcome to the Reformed Confessional Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. My name is John Fry, and I'm very excited about the topic at hand. We're going to discuss the Christian Sabbath, specifically how do we apply Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 and following in our 21st century lives. Quickly before I do that, I want to just turn your attention to our website at reformconfess.com. This past week, Brother Nick Myers released an article called A Covenantal Creation, and I hope that if you go there and you can read that in about five minutes, it does exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to take a look at some elements of creation, which will necessarily point us to the hope of redemption. Also, there's a blogcast out on this same exact Reformed Confessional podcast. Sometimes we rotate episodes more like this, where it's myself or myself and Nick. And other times we will put up a blogcast for those of you who would like to read, but don't want to do it at the same time that you drive to work. You can listen to us and particularly Nick's silky, smooth voice, as he likes to self ascribe and just my regular old plain audio coming into your ears. You can hear myself or him alternate reading those blogs to you. With no further ado, though, I'm very thankful and blessed to be part of your life. Hopefully, this is helping you build just closer to God, building in your relationship with Him. And our content, as always, comes from a Reformed and a confessional viewpoint. So upon that foundation, we launch today trying to apply Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, which is the fourth commandment. And I just want to admit that the fourth commandment can be difficult to apply. Some reasons, I think, perhaps it's because we desire a clean list of do's and don'ts to keep. And so when we don't have one, sometimes we struggle forging our own record of rules so that we ensure we're found obedient. And sometimes that's out of good, and sometimes it's out of legalistic type motives, but we prefer, at least I do, I prefer a do this, don't do that. There's a little more yeoman work involved in applying the fourth commandment. Maybe the fourth commandment's hard to apply because we fret being thought of as legalistic for our unwillingness to attend something like a professional sporting event on the Lord's Day. Uh, maybe simply one of the reasons why it's hard to apply is because God's children just haven't considered their way of life regarding the command that says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So, in this podcast episode, I want to go through some highlights. Uh, Like I had mentioned, referencing Nick's article, Creation and Redemption, we'll talk about how two different times in the Pentateuch we see the fourth commandment, once in Exodus, once in Deuteronomy, once it is founded in creation, once it's founded in redemption. And then we're gonna visit Tertullian and see some of his works and what he said about how we can think about applying the Sabbath. And then we will end in the Gospel of Luke to take a look at our Lord and Savior Jesus And the works that he did on the day of rest. What I want to do now is look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. When we read this, keep in mind the Hebrew word Sabbath means to cease. Therefore, ceasing from work to worship is largely what's in view in the fourth commandment. And this commandment, like I said, is explained twice once in Exodus, once in Deuteronomy. So let's compare them. I'm going to read the Exodus passage immediately followed by Deuteronomy. So if you hear some of the same things twice, no, the recording is not faulty. And no, you didn't accidentally hit the skip back 15 or 30 second button on your device. So here we go. Exodus chapter 20, verses eight through 11, saying, quote, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord for your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. End quote. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, saying, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So there we have it, and among the differences above between the Exodus and Deuteronomy passage, the most significant is the basis for observing the Sabbath. In Exodus, Moses grounds the Sabbath day in God's work at creation. But in Deuteronomy, Moses bases the Sabbath day in God's work in redemption from slavery to Egypt. So what we get here is not a contradiction, but a compliment. The combination of Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, and Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, displays the fullness of the purpose for keeping the Sabbath. That we may look back at God's work of creation we may image our God by following the pattern of resting one and seven, and that we would look ahead to the reality of our redemption. Both provoke worship in the believer. So in this way, we'd reference what the Second London Baptist Confession 22.8 of religious worship and the Sabbath says, we can view the Sabbath as a day of rest that produces worship. So think about why. I'm hoping that cultivates in you a little bit of motivation. Why should I think about how I live on the the Sabbath day or the Lord's day? How do I live? And why do I want to contemplate this? Why do I want to open my Bible, study this, talk to my pastors and elders about this? Why do I want to listen to this podcast? Because we rest not just from our physical labor, but we rest with a purpose, and that's to worship. So we suspend our normal activities in the other six days, and it's not just a slothful type self-service, although we do rest and we have spiritual and physical rejuvenation and rest, as we will see, but it's to pursue worship. And one other thing I wanted to mention in way of motivation, this creation and redemption foundation that propels us toward observing the Christian Sabbath is in the Westminster Larger Catechism. I just want to say shout out to the larger catechism. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of the shorter, which is, in my experience, more often quoted, but the larger just has some content that is very helpful. The larger catechism in question 121. 121 asks, quote, why is the word remember set in the beginning of the fourth commandment? And as the answer goes on, there's this small tidbit of about seven or eight words and it says that keeping the fourth commandment helps us, quote, better keep the rest of the commandments. It's saying if we keep the Christian Sabbath, if we remember the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, we will better be able to keep the first through the third and the fifth through the tenth commandment. And what that looks like for us, that is highly motivating. And I think it's very true. When we take the Lord's Day and we attend corporate worship, we prepare our hearts For communion, we listen to the word of God saying, we listen to the scripture read aloud, we listen to the man of God stand and preach, we confess our sin, we praise our Lord and Savior, we train our children, and we go home. And maybe it's we read the Christian book or we read the Bible, we read the commentary, we catechize. Whatever we creatively do to put our mind on the Lord, it helps us to honor our father and mother, to not lie, not commit adultery, not kill, not steal, not covet. It helps us to not commit idolatry, not use the Lord's name in vain, and to have no other gods before Him. Observing the fourth commandment cultivates us to glorify God through obedience in keeping the other nine commandments. I hope that that's motivation, that we can look back at creation and look at what God did and He rested and He made it holy. Your God, Yahweh, made this day holy and then commanded you, to do what he did and rest and keep it holy. We keep holy what has already been made holy. And likewise, we look ahead to redemption. The book of Hebrews says that there still remains a Sabbath, and we look forward to the eternal rest that awaits us. The weekly Sabbath reminds a Christian that he or she is headed toward eternal rest with God. And there, there will be no harassment That from the enemy. There will be no presence of sin. It's just as we put off our affairs of our lives on Sunday, we exchange it for rest and worship. So one day we will put off the world and we will put on the presence of God forever. So I hope that whets your appetite, provokes you to think, okay, how should I conduct myself in obedience to the Lord on the Lord's day? So to do that, what we're going to do is like I had mentioned previously, take a look at Tertullian. and Tertullian's The Five Books Against Marcion, This African theologian from Carthage, he writes to his opponent regarding the Sabbath day. The translation I have in front of me is into English from March of 1868. So definitely resting on the works of folks well before us, all the way from the 2nd to the 19th century. So we're very thankful for the faithful men and women to pass this legacy down to us. Tertullian is responding here, and he gives us two really helpful, very general categories for thinking about work on the Lord's day. So here's what he writes, saying, quote, Similarly, on other points also, you reproach him with fickleness and instability for contradictions in his commandments, such as that he forbade work to be done on Sabbath days, and yet at the siege of Jericho ordered the ark to be carried round the walls during eight days. In other words, of course, actually on a Sabbath. You do not, however, consider the law of the Sabbath. They are human works, not divine, which it prohibits. For it says, quote, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. What work? Of course, your own. The conclusion is that from the Sabbath day, he removes those works which he had before enjoined for the six days, that is, your own works. In other words, human works of daily life. Now, the carrying of the Ark is evidently not an ordinary daily duty, nor yet a human one, but a rare and sacred work, and, as being then ordered by the direct precept of God, a divine one. So what Tertullian does is he refutes Marcion, who says that God contradicts himself by saying, rest from your work on the Sabbath, but then commands Joshua to march around Jericho, and and the amount of days he totals, They're marching around the wall six times. On the 7th, they march around seven times. Well, those are successive days, so naturally one of them consumed a Sabbath. But Tertullian makes an outstanding point that this was a divine work. And so what the commandment gives us clear direction on is resting from human works to pursue divine works and even rest in those divine works, some of the aforementioned ones. And he's saying, What God had commanded Joshua to do in the book of Joshua was divine. It was not ordinary daily duty. It was not something you would find yourself normally doing on the other six days, but a rare and sacred work. And so he gives us two categories, and that is divine and human, a divine work or a human work. So if we're trying to apply the fourth commandment, perhaps when we employ these categories into our Lord's day lives, we may ask, is this activity a divine work or a human work? And if it's a divine work, we pursue it. And if it's a human work, we don't. So with that, we want to look at Jesus, who gives us some clear examples of what a divine work is. And first, let me acknowledge that the life and works of Jesus, yes, they came before Tertullian, but like a modern-day preacher provides the examples of Jesus to illustrate the application of his sermon's focal point, it's also, it's our Lord and Savior in the Gospel of Luke who best displays how to apply the main thrust of what I think Tertullian was getting at there. So we're going maybe not in a historical left-to-right sequence, but we're taking Tertullian's distillation of his thoughts on the Sabbath, and we're saying, we think they're faithful because that's exactly what Jesus' life displayed. So, let's take a look at Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, and I'm going to turn my Bible back there, and we will read it in just a moment. If you take a look at Luke's gospel, though, you'll see that one of the recurring themes of controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees is the right use of the sabbath so here in luke chapter 6 verses 1 through 5 we begin to see some examples of divine works that tertullian had mentioned it reads like this on a sabbath while he was going through the grain fields his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain rubbing them in their hands but some of the pharisees said why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the sabbath and jesus answered them Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So they asked him the question, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? This is a reference to Exodus chapter 34 and verse 21. Exodus chapter 34, verse 21 reads as follows. Quote, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. So that would be one of the areas that would contribute to this pharisaical way of thinking. And Jesus, knowing their heart, knowing their mind, knowing their thoughts, he knows that they are definitely knowledgeable on this story from King David. And he says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, now David ate the showbread, and you can read about that in First Samuel chapter twenty-one, verses one through nine. So not only does Jesus defend the priority of human necessity here on the Sabbath, but he does something even greater when he references David. I think that his reference to David contributes to the revelation that he's the antitype who will sit on the throne of David forever, as was promised to David in Second Samuel chapter seven, verses eight through seventeen. So Jesus does multiple things here, and for our sake of applying this in Exodus, we see that there is a ritual not to eat the bread of the presence. And and the way that the Pharisees would apply that is, you don't go plucking grain from fields. You rest. What Jesus does here is he defends his disciples and shows that human necessity trumps religious ritual, even on the Sabbath day. And if we think that that's coming from some type of layman's opinion... He says in verse 5, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, there is a commentary here I have that uh, it's on, it's from the Holman commentary, and it's on Luke chapter 6, verse 5, which is very interesting. I read this carefully because not every point on this chapter do I agree from the author, but I thought that this one, uh, it's a gentleman named Trent Butler, was helpful to me. It says, quote, the Pharisees surely did not miss this point. Only God can make such a claim Jesus, the Son of Man, identified himself as Son of God with divine authority. And such authority forces people to choose, follow Pharisaic interpretations of the law, or follow the Lord of the Sabbath. What word really helped me here was interpretations, and that's what it boils down to. Jesus, by comparing himself to David, Jesus, by explicitly saying the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, he is making his application of the fourth commandment the highest, the authoritative one, over these Pharisees. And so we have freedom in knowing that on the Lord's Day, we, as we seek to rest from our work and we rest with the purpose of worshiping, that we are able to prioritize human necessity. One way that we do that happened to me last week. This past Lord's Day, my daughter had been sick, she had been ill, and I went to the store and bought her medicine. I was not crippled in my conscience by disobeying the spirit and principles of the fourth commandment I went and prioritized human necessity for her illness and had freedom to do it because that's what the Lord of the Sabbath shows us we're allowed to do in Luke chapter 6 verses 1 through 5 and with that one more example seven chapters later so the Lord of the Sabbath again Jesus he's teaching in the synagogue so that teaches us right there that corporate worship is definitely, it's not only commanded, but there's the explicit example of him gathering for worship and teaching. So that's something that we would expect to be done. That's an example of applying rest to worship, is gathering for corporate worship. But here, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records it like this, saying, And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Now, instead of rejoicing at this act of mercy, the leader of the synagogue grows indignant at Jesus and the woman, and he says, quote, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Wow, is my reaction to that, but thankfully, Jesus exposes a leader, and just like he defended his disciples for eating grain, he responds to the leader by defending the woman, and he says, quote, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath day untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? So there's Several things revealed there when Jesus exposes their hypocrisy, but that would even contribute to our theology of animals. When I think about how we ought to think of animals, I often think back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and the fall, and then the Levitical law with the sacrifice, and then the freedom to eat what we want in the New Testament. But here is another verse that would contribute to a robust theology of how to think about animals. He's saying this woman is greater than the ox or the donkey. He doesn't condemn them for untying the ox or donkey and leading them away to water. But he shows that the woman is greater than the ox or the donkey. And we we gather that from Genesis chapter 1 verses 27 and 28. She was made in the image of God, and to our God she is a member of the sanctified people of Israel. She is a daughter of Abraham. Also what Jesus teaches us here is the Spiritual elements. So don't lose that. So far, we've seen human necessity and we've seen physical rest, we've seen worship, but right here, we see spiritual rest being given to this woman. Satan is who Jesus says is responsible for binding this Jewish woman so that she has some sort of a posture malady. She's bent over, and this is bondage that he frees her from. And by displaying that Satan was responsible for it, he's showing the spiritual warfare manifested in her physical disability, and he gives her physical rest, which certainly would give her spiritual healing, rest, and rejuvenation. And we know, we know that last statement is true because of the last three words that I read, it says, she glorified God. She was freed in her malady. She turned to worship God and find her rest in him on that sabbath day so there's many other things that we could read and we could talk about if you are interested this is what is your appetite there is a little bit larger article it's probably a 10 minute read or so that will sound familiar if you've listened to this podcast it'll sound familiar to you because we will go over creation and redemption a little more in depth we'll talk about tertullian i'll even throw out john calvin and the way that He helps us in three categories of His own to say this is a divine work that we ought to pursue on the Lord's day. And I will also cover another area in Luke's gospel Luke chapter 14 when Jesus and the Pharisees go at it about the Sabbath where we're going to see that Jesus authorizes dining on the Sabbath so that's pretty exciting for those of you who find yourself hungry after the Lord's Day service uh, and with that I want to leave you with a B.B. Warfield quote and I want to give credit where it's due I came across this quote because of a book by Pastor Kevin DeYoung called the Ten Commandments B.B. Warfield says this quote Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him And brought the Lord's day out of the grave with him on the resurrection morn. And I'm sharing this at the end because maybe you've wondered well, that was the fourth commandment. That was the Sabbath. It was even on a different day of the week. How do we know these principles are applicable for the post resurrection Christian? And I've surveyed, like I had mentioned, Calvin, and I've even looked at some Warfield. I read a, a modern guy, and Pastor Kevin DeYoung, taking a look at Tertullian, and a few others, and I am convinced that our church fathers, and the ones who we would identify as Orthodox, they view, largely, the Lord's Day as a substitution for the Sabbath. So you strip away the ceremonial law, you strip away the civil law of the Sabbath, the moral perpetuity, to image God who rested one in seven, and then, looking forward to the redemption that was given from the slavery and bondage in Egypt and how we are forgiven and have been brought out of slavery to sin and we have an eternal rest. By doing that, we carry forward the moral obligation to worship God in our rest on the Sabbath day. So the Lord took the Sabbath in the grave with Him and on the resurrection morn, He brought out the Lord's day. And remember, that's a gift for you to have rest from all of life's affairs, to have physical rest, spiritual rest, and as Calvin would say, in all seven days, find your rest in Christ. I hope this has been helpful to you. I hope that it stirred your spirit. Again, visit us at reformconfess.com. You can check out our articles. You can check out our exegetical studies, our devotions, this podcast along with our broadcast. And as always, there's a support tab if you are inclined to help us in this ministry. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.